You're listening to Rockland Community Church, connecting all generations to Jesus. Well, here they are at the Last Supper, and he just said someone is going to betray him, and the disciples thought this is a good opportunity to have a debate about which one of us is the greatest. That's what they said. A dispute also arose among them, that's the 12, as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. But the amazing thing about this is they have asked this question at least one other time, probably at least two other times. There was a time they were debating it, and then in Luke 9, earlier in Luke's gospel, whoever receives his child in my name receives me. Whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you all is the one who is great. Jesus had to respond to it once before. And then there was another time, if you remember, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, and they got their their mom involved too, and they went to Jesus and said, can my two sons sit at your right and left? Can they be the greatest in the kingdom? And Jesus said to them, you don't even understand what you are asking. And he says, can you drink the cup that I'm about to drink? Meaning, uh, can you take on the suffering that I'm about to take on? because he is exalted through his suffering. And perhaps the most arrogant answer in all of human history, they say, yes, Lord, we are able. And Jesus says, okay, well, you are gonna have to bring, you are gonna have this suffering as a follower of mine, but as far as sitting on my right and left, that's not mine to grant, that's up to my father to grant. The other 10 got mad that they were even asking and Jesus Put them in their place. And so they are asking the question about, they're asking it in kind of a couple ways. One is in eternity, can we sit at your right and left? But periodically they've also asked questions about, are we the greatest now? Can we be elevated now? And that's one of the things that he says here. A dispute arose as to which is to be regarded. And there's a a present tense to this. They're saying, okay, Jesus, you're obviously first. We get that. But who's next? And they wanted to be next. And so this is a revival of the, a, a shameful dispute that they were having at the most selfish of times. They're asking, who's going to be the greatest? And so I'm, I'm looking at it, asking the question, saying, why is this coming up again? What is it they're actually trying to accomplish by asking this question? And here's what it says in verse 25. Jesus knows what's in their mind. He said to them, the kings of the Gentiles, so the non-Jews, these are Gentiles, exercise lordship over them. So the Gentile kings, the pagan kings in the culture, exercise lordship over the Gentiles. It literally says, lord it over them. The kings of the Gentiles, lord it over them, it says. And those in authority over them are called benefactors. Now, the key phrase here is, Lord it over them. And you see the term benefactors, which is someone who does something good for somebody else. And so he says, what you have here in this culture is you have people that are, that are called benefactors, but really what they're doing is they're lording their authority over others, and anything that they do requires that the people that follow them give back in return. So in other words, their gifts, so to speak, require reciprocity. That's what he just said. Their gifts require the benefactors. The rulers are are, um, supposedly benevolent. They're called benefactors, but at the same time, they're requiring something in return. 
In the 60s, the emperor Vespasian returned to Rome as a new, uh, as a new emperor after he um, defeated an uprising, and the crowds hailed him, and uh, the historian Josephus recalls that they said, or um, writes for us, that they said uh, that they called him their savior and their benefactor, and then they cried out, we are indebted to you with our lives. That's the idea is... Um, He's looking at the world and seeing these people that say they are doing these things for you, they can do good things for you. When they do good things for you, there's always strings attached. The monarch speaks and everybody obeys. You would have to put up statues, give homage to them. You'd have unquestioned allegiance to them. But oftentimes there's strings attached. In fact, if you're doing the Revelation study, we looked this last week in the men's study I think it was men's study, the church at Laodicea, and um, they got hit by two earthquakes really hard. One was um, in like uh, 17 AD, I think it's 17 AD, and then one was in the 60s. Both of them were pretty darn devastating. The first one, Rome gave them money to help them rebuild, and they said, you're welcome for giving you money, and then they had all these strings attached. So much so that when in the 60s, it got hit again by an earthquake, Rome came and said, no problem, here's a bunch of money, and they said, no, thank you. And they did it themselves. When we got, um, during COVID, we got um, the, the PPP money from the government. When that came, you better believe we read it very, very carefully to see if we were about to get something and then say, but in return, you are now obligated to us. And if it was, I don't care how much money we would have got, we wouldn't have taken it. But there were no strings attached. Oftentimes, that's the case, though, is there are strings attached. And so why are they asking this? Why are they trying to accomplish? And Jesus says, you're having a perspective like the Gentiles of the world, like, like, like the world perspective on what it means to sort of climb this ladder. If I climb the ladder, people will owe me. I'll have my pick of what I get to do and what I don't want to do, and my life will be easier. I don't have to be a servant. I will be the served. That's what these guys are asking. Can we be the greatest. They're trying to climb so they can receive. If I'm up, people will give me respect. They'll do things for me that they would not do for other people. And everything around them in their culture says, that's fine. That's what you should attain to, is to get to a point where you don't really have to serve. The ones on top get things done for them by the ones that are, in a sense, below. I actually saw a really interesting interview. It was very um, thought-provoking. Gwyneth Paltrow, the, the uh, actress, um, famous, rich, um, very talented actress, um, was interviewed, and, uh, and, she's, and, and sometimes I hear people complain about fame, and I kind of go, aw. Um, but this, I thought, was very, very, there was a lot of depth to what she was saying. Um, they were, she was sharing about something that her father had told her to say, um, obstacles in your life are how you grow. When there's obstacles in your life and you have to figure out how to overcome them, that's how you grow. And she said one of the hard things about being famous because I've been in like Iron Man and because I've won awards and because I'm in these movies, um, she said, my life is people just keep removing obstacles for me. She said, she said I don't know what it's like anymore to um, not be able to walk up to a restaurant and not need a reservation. Um, she was saying, I, I don't know what it's like to call somebody 
and then say, they're not around, they'll have to call you back. She said, if it's me, they go get them. And she said, it's, it may sound, if it's sounding like she was real arrogant about it, I think she was actually just sort of reflecting on, this is just what life is like now. And she was just reflecting on, because I've got this fame and esteem in our culture, then other people feel like they have to work their life around me. You think of the people that get an audience sometimes with um, some of the leaders of our nation. It's probably people, some people, I just, I just saw one uh, who has, oh, I don't remember the number now, millions of followers on social media, and so he got an audience with Congress. I don't know who he is, some young guy. He got an audience with Congress. Celebrities can go get an audience with Congress. Powerful people can go do that. And so um, there, in our culture, there's a sense of if I work up, whatever that looks like, even if it's the celebrity culture that we live in, there's a sense of which these people down here will move for those that are up here. It's kind of our culture here, and a lot of that is happening back in their time as well. She, gets, she said, I can get free anything as long as I give somebody a selfie. She got an offer, I think it was Gwyneth Paltrow, she got an offer for a free car if she would get a selfie with somebody. That's life, yeah. Reciprocity is the currency of relationships today. This is, this is how the world works. I gave you money, I assume you'll take my phone call someday. I volunteer at my kid's school, and so when I want an audience with the principal or when I speak to the teachers, they should listen more to me because I am doing something and they should do something back. Um, I, I'll, I'll perform an act of kindness for somebody because, oh boy, she's real active on social media and she'll probably make a note on social media of how humble and sweet I was that I did that for her. That's, to, that's giving with reciprocity. That's what they are dealing with. In fact, there's a, um, there's a Greek historian from the first century that says for these benefactors, he says, um, public recognition was, quote, more precious than life itself for the benefactor. That's what they wanted. I want something in return. This is, Nikki goes out with some of her friends and then she comes home and I go, gosh, I hope you had a great time, you know. Uh, well, you were there, you know, I, I cleaned the house and I took care of the kids and I uh, got them ready for school and we did some homework and there's a little bit of a meltdown, but I kind of took care of that, no big deal, you know. And, and um, oh, by the way, you know, while you were out, some of the guys were texting and we were thinking we might want to go. What just happened? That wasn't a, that wasn't a, a gift that I gave her. That was a strings attached. You do, I'll do for you, but then you do for me. The Gentile benefactors would give gifts with strings attached. But I think what Jesus is going to get at here is a gift with strings attached is no longer a gift. It's a down payment that we're giving to get something in return later. That's all it is. And that's why Jesus says, verse 26, he says, but not so with you. He's looking at his followers and saying, this is how everybody else in the world works that I do for you and that therefore you must do for me. And he says, but not so for you. Everybody else, when they're serving somebody, or at least this example, I should say, these Gentile benefactors, when they are serving other people, they're really serving themselves. We don't ascend to some level with the motive of going, good, now I've got a down payment and they're in debt to me and I can cash those chips whenever I wanna cash them. And he's saying that's what they are doing. And he says, this is how the world works. I've paid my dues. 
and now others should serve me. And he says, not so with you. I give because I really want to get something back in return. That's my motive for doing it. And he says, not so with you. He actually kind of turns it on its head, and he gives three examples of how to live. He says, not so with you. Rather, and he says, let the greatest among you become as the youngest. This was in a time where um, the elders of the society were esteemed, and the young people didn't have much esteem. This is reversed a bit, unfortunately, today in our world, where the, 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 you know, the new person, the new person coming in that's got the new ideas and the energy and all that are, are highly valued, and the person with 30 years' experience can sometimes go through a painful process of feeling like nobody cares what they've done for the last 30 years and what they've learned. They're immediately esteemed. That's not what's happening here. In their culture, it was the opposite. The elders were to be esteemed. The older were to be uh, esteemed. They wouldn't have movies like we do today where it's constantly the kids who put the parents in their place. That's what happens on almost, if you haven't seen, it's on almost every sitcom, uh, almost every streaming, almost every movie. It's the younger that sort of put the older in their place. That wouldn't have made any sense to them. And he's saying, even if you are esteemed by others, be careful how you hold on to that. He said, have the humility as though you are younger. And then it says, the leader as one who serves. Leaders don't serve at least not in the question that they're asking. Hey, can we ascend like this so that other people can do things for us? Leaders don't serve. Leaders get served. There was a, um, there was a Harvard did some research that I thought was interesting. And I don't remember the percentage and I couldn't find it. I apologize. But um, they were asking, they asked a bunch of graduates who wanted to start their own business. They said, um, how many of you, or what is the primary reason that, you're, that you want to have your own business? And I don't have the data. It was just off the charts, very obvious what it was. Um, that they wanted to be their own boss. And a guy, I, I did watch this, he was kind of at a symposium just sort of summarizing the contents. And he said, you have a whole bunch of people graduating that want to start their own business so no one can tell them what to do. I get that. I think they're in for a little bit of a rude awakening when they realize whatever business they're in, there's regulations and laws that govern it. So there's going to be that. There's going to be financial constraints and restrictions and things like that. But like I'm sensitive to it. And, and, the, and the conversation went on. He basically said, it's not that there's not going to be anybody telling anybody what to do. It's they want to build a business and they want to be the one telling everybody what to do. And the, Jesus says, the leader should regard himself as one who serves. And then he says, for who is greater, the one who reclines at the table, that's the guest of honor, or the one who serves, the servant who goes around and serves them? Is it not the one who reclines at table? Now, he's not saying those people are greater. He's saying, societally speaking, you have a guest of honor, and then you have someone there that comes around to serve them, and anybody that walked in would be able to go, well, that's obviously the person of honor, and this is the person that is at the whim of this person to do whatever this person wants. Who's greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Jesus is saying, you gotta see all these things the opposite way than the world does. He's saying don't ever stop serving. Don't ever demand that your act of service be reciprocated or you're missing the point of service. That's self-service. You ever had people um, compliment you with over-the-top flattery that just feels so false? 
And maybe they're trying to be nice, but deep down there's something in us that kind of goes, I feel like you like giving the compliment even more than I like receiving it in this moment. And it just sort of falls flat. The things that we've earned, our money, time, words, energy, we use them to serve other people who will probably never say thank you to us. That's what Jesus is calling his followers to do. Which, seems, which honestly seems a little bit unreasonable, I think. And then Jesus says it's not at all, because look at what he says. But I am among you as the one who serves. Jesus is saying, I went first. I am among you as the one who serves. You remember what Jesus did at the Last Supper? He washed their feet. You remember what he's about to do? He's about to go to the cross and die to pay for sin, even for these 12 that as he's about to do that are going, I wonder which one of us is the greatest. He's going to die even for them. And they're still asking the question and going, who's the greatest, who's the greatest, who's the greatest? And if there was, there's been no greater forfeiture of your own rights in all of human history than what Jesus did on that night and on the cross. And so he's saying, I am giving you the example that you are to follow. Jesus does not lord it over them. No, no matter how, how high you and I think we are in the food chain, whatever, whatever that looks like, the gap to anybody else is much, much smaller than the gap between our Savior and us. The perfect one, God made flesh, came to die he came to serve, not to be served. Here's how we do it. Verse 28. He says, you are those who stayed with me in my trials, and I assign to you, as my Father assigned to me, a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. He just said, don't give like the benefactors that you might get in return, but follow the example of Christ and just say, how do we do that? He just, he just gave a clue to it. And some here, honestly, is unclear, but some that's very clear is that the Lord promised to his followers the glory and honor and rewards far exceeding anything that they could possibly get in return from somebody that they just served. J.C. Ryle says this, he says, he assures them that they will have rewards in another world fit for a king. You've got a reward waiting if you live in a way that demonstrates your saving faith. How can we live in such a way that we'll say, I don't really care, I don't care if they ever acknowledge, I don't care if I like this, but I don't care. I'm just gonna give and I'm just gonna serve and my life's not about me. How do we live that countercultural mantra in our own lives? And I think the simple thing he's trying to say is remembering that when we have those moments, I'm not just serving the person in front of me or giving to the person in front of me. I'm ultimately serving Christ. So you and I have an opportunity to serve people and love people, not wanting anything in return and knowing that that is an act of worship that goes right to the throne room of heaven itself. That's what he's calling his followers to do. That's why he said what you did to the least of these, you did to me. Our humblest service goes directly to the throne room of God as worship. It does not go unnoticed. Nikki always says this. She says, if, if you were gonna do something and you weren't going to get thanked for it, would you still do it. 
sorry, she doesn't say that to me. Like, I mean, she does, but she just says that, like, in general, I guess I should say. That's a, that's a filter she uses. Like, if you were going to do something and then you go, no one's ever going to thank me for it, would you still do it? This is a motive check for us. Like, I think about this as a dad. I think of, um, if my kids don't say thank you to me, one, one method as a dad is to try to wrangle them into making the words, thank you, Father, come out of their mouth, which probably has nothing to do with their heart. It's just, I, I got them to be able to say these words. And, and if, if I'm just wanting to be thanked from them, if that's my motive, if that's why I'm serving them, then there's some kind of gap in me that I am wanting them to fill. That's difficult to go, be grateful, be grateful, be grateful. That's hard. So when, when, I'm, when I'm with my kids, I'm wanting them to be grateful. The difference between, oh, there's something in me that I, that I need filled and I need you to tell me that I'm okay and that I did good. That, that's, that's one motive that's dangerous. That's putting a weight on your kids they're not meant to bear. But if I'm looking and going, that, that, that hole is filled because what I'm doing is an act of worship to God. The reason now I want them to be uh, grateful is because they're about to go to a, a world of Gentiles, so to speak. They're gonna have to go live in a world of Gentiles. And um, I think we could all agree, gratitude is in short supply. And so I want them to have the character of Christ that lives a life of gratitude. Not, not to meet some need in me, but that they might thrive and that they might follow him Amen. in this world. This is the call in the life of the Christian. The way I'm saying it is give without gain. Give without gain. Serve other people around you without wanting anything in return. This is really, really difficult. I had one. I was in the, um, when I was back in my business days, we were at a meeting, and there was a guy, if there was ever kind of a, 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 a company-wide nemesis, I'll just say, he got up and gave a presentation. And in his presentation, uh, because some of the, the bigwigs from corporate were there, and so I don't know why this guy got to present, but he did, as he presented, it was very obvious some of the things he said were false. And I gotta tell you, I'm sitting there listening. I could have raised my hand and asked the question and ruined this guy. And I don't know why, this is kind of sick. It was hard to bite my tongue. In fact, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you the story. This is a little bit humbling. I was sitting there, and I just started praying for this guy, and I just thought, man, this guy, I just feel like he's just wanting kudos from everybody, and I thought, I could just, I just say this, Jim, just say this, and he'll be quiet and put him in his place, and he'll be rude, but hey, you know what? Like, I had all my justification and everything, and then my, my heart started to just break for this guy, and I didn't know what to do, so this is absolutely true. I just started praying. And I was just praying, I don't know what he was talking about, and I was just praying and praying and just praying for this guy and just seeing, is there something in him that needs to be filled? And so I just started praying for whatever that need was in him. And then I thought, you know what, I'm gonna go ahead and say something. And absolutely true, I went to open my mouth and I physically bit my tongue. And I went, all right, I won't say anything. And I bit my tongue on that day. And the guy worked there for another week or two or something like that, and then he, he, he resigned, I guess. I think he probably was asked to resign. But in that moment, I guess I just shared it with you, but in that moment, I'm sitting here going, this is a guy that if, if ever I could just go, I don't like this guy, no one else likes this guy, I could just throw this out there, and it would, he would get what he has coming to him. And I thought, is this the best way to love him in this moment? And so no, I haven't told anybody that story. It's been... 15, 20 years, whatever it's been. It was so hard to just bite my tongue. But what helped was for me to be able to just go, God, this is an act of worship 
to you. I think of um, parents with foster kids who never understand um, fully the sacrifice that the parents are willing to make that you might completely upend your life to save theirs. Or I think about young moms at the house especially that maybe serving kids day in, day out to be too young to really fully even appreciate exactly what they're doing for them. Or I think of Christians who go out and just give generously to the poor who well, well, they'll never see a return on investment. They'll never get paid back and, and, and don't expect to be paid back. It's just giving and giving and giving without gain. I'm not looking for anything to gain from you. My gift, my whatever it is, goes straight to the throne room of heaven. And that's it. So the question that I'm going to ask you today is, who in your life needs you to serve them today with no strings attached? Who do you need to give to without any personal gain of your own? No benefit to you for doing it. Um, may not make your life better. It might cost you time or money. I, I, I actually was printing this this morning, and I saw some news about somebody that I don't really have an obligation to go and spend time with, and there's no benefit to me to do so. But it'd probably be a benefit to him to have a brother come alongside him. And I immediately felt myself pushing it down in this like, well, do I need to do that? It's a lot of time and all that. And it's weighing the time versus the benefits. I'm gonna call them. Who needs your service today when they have no way to reciprocate? This is why writing cards is really good, by the way. Like text, you can get texted right back. In person, you can get something back. This is, you remember writing cards? I don't know if you guys are good card writers or not. I am not. But to be able to write a card and it goes in the mail and they get it and it's just a blessing to them and sometimes they're even anonymous and there's no way to even just see their expression and even, you know, like, like that, that is a beautiful thing that you can do. We can just write cards to one another. There's some, like my story when I was working in the business world, that, um, that to serve somebody and say, you may not even feel good after you do it. Like you may not even like that you just served that person because it doesn't even feel like they are worthy of being served in that way or you know, however you frame it in your mind. But just to go to that person and just say, because I'm a Christian, I'll serve you. That's how Christians live. What, what I hope is if we can, and some of you do this beautifully, but um, if, if we can start even today and sort of get this feeling of saying, I don't want any reciprocity for what, for, for what I do for others. I want to serve regardless of, I'll ask them all about their day. They, oh, they didn't even ask me about my day, whatever it is. If we start doing that and we just start seeing our acts of service as acts of worship directly pleasing to God. That can start a lifestyle of doing so. J.C. Ryle again says this about this passage. He says, usefulness in the world and in the Christian church, a humble readiness to do anything, a cheerful willingness to fill any post, however lowly are the true tests of Christian greatness. The hero in Christ's army is not the one who has rank and title and dignity and chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him. It's the one who's not concerned about himself but about other people. It's the one who's kind to everyone, tender to everyone, thoughtful toward everyone, ever helpful and sympathetic. It is the one who spends his time binding up the brokenhearted, befriending the friendless, comforting the sorrowful, and enlightening the ignorant. This is the truly great person in God's sight. 
The world may ridicule his efforts and deny the sincerity of his motives. But while the world is sneering, God is pleased. He says, this is the one who's walking most closely in the steps of Christ. Jesus came to really just obliterate the hierarchy that we tend to throw up. Jesus came from the highest of highs to come make himself poor, to walk among us, to die on the cross and to rise from the grave. And so I'll ask you again, who, who today needs you to give without gain, to serve them in some way without asking anything in return? Amen.